Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Central. How are you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes and welcome to Tech Radio with all the latest in tech from around Ireland and across the world. Remember, there are many ways of getting our show. You can download directly from our website at techcentral.ie. Use a smartphone podcast app. There's iTunes there for you or just turn us on the radio every Friday on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Later on in the show this week, we'll be talking to Natalie Hodges from Vodafone Ireland Foundation on the subject of cyberbullying. But first, I'm joined by Editor-in-Chief of Tech Central, Niall Kitson. Some big stories with some big brands today. I suppose we start off with uh, aviation and uh, you're not allowed to bring your laptop on certain flights from certain countries to the UK or the USA. Yeah, I think the overarching theme of this week's edition is um, technology is great, but for the people that use it. <laughs> so um, here, here's the latest story. OK, uh, we know that um, the Trump administration in the US have been trying to enact uh, a travel ban um, on uh, people coming from predominantly Muslim countries. And we know what that's code for, you know. Um, so having failed to initiate a, a complete ban on travel, uh, what they're doing now is making it a lot more boring for people looking to travel from certain countries. So um, here's here's the situation as it stands. Um, late last week, the US said, OK, we're introducing a ban on certain devices if you're coming from Turkey, Egypt, Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, the United Arab Emirates and um, Morocco. So 10 airports from eight countries. And if you are carrying something, if you're carrying a laptop, forget about it. It's not getting into the um, uh, into, into the, the cabin into the cabin if you have a tablet forget about it you're not getting into a cabin uh if you have a kindle uh nope not not either if you have a smartphone uh or any sort of device that measures less than 6.3 times 3.6 inches so that's no phablets mm. even. so your galaxy note not getting into the cabin. So basically uh, what they've done is from from these countries, which uh, uh, they said that they've got, they're worried about terrorists coming from these particular countries. They're not uh, necessarily blaming these countries, but they're just saying they could be weak points uh, and that they're, could, they've heard word of some kind of a plan to use laptops or iPads or whatever it happens to be. So that's why they've put the plan in place. And the bottom line is anything bigger than an iPhone uh, or a Samsung Galaxy or whatever, bump, it, it goes into the hold. The question is, will that actually make any difference? Well, you're you're the aviation guy, so you can stop me on this um, at any stage because you know an awful lot more about this kind of thing than I do. So the the official um, word from both Downing Street and US government is that this is, uh, Downing Street said it's necessary, effective and proportionate. The US was talking about unspecified threats the, um, that um, travel from those countries uh, represents. I mean, the, U- the UK uh, travel ban actually is slightly different. They don't ban people from, uh, they don't ban devices if you're traveling from Kuwait, but they are interested in Lebanon and Tunisia, which the US is not. So l- let's look at this from sort of, um, uh, is there is there precedent here? I mean, the, the, the most recent thing I can think of dates back to 2006 when the liquids ban came in and we can all, we're now stuck with a limit of 100 milliliters if we're traveling. And it's kind of an inconvenience. It slows things down. And as far as we know, it hasn't stopped any, any sort of terrorist, um, 
terrorist attacks, but I guess you can't prove a negative. I mean, it's one of these things that, you know, if nothing has happened, you, you can hail it as a great preventive measure. And I think this could be what's going to happen with um, these devices. I mean, the the thinking behind it goes that, you know, you could replace a battery in a laptop with uh, a bunch of C4 explosives or something like that. But if you look at Mac laptops, I mean, they're all unibodies. I mean, good luck to you trying to disassemble one of those things. To, or, or, you know, the, the MacBook uh, in its current um, super, super slim mm. thing where they've got this tiny layered battery battery which would be very difficult to uh to to replace because these are devices that aren't designed to be open so if you wanted um for from you know using common sense if you're really that concerned about devices coming from these countries putting them in the hold isn't gonna isn't gonna change anything but yeah and and the thing is is that then they will move on to something else that you take on you're not allowed to take on books because of the pages are glued together and you've got your c5 explosive hidden in the middle or whatever it happens to be like you know um i in some ways i agree like if there is a chance that something bad could happen and a couple of hundred people could die because of that well then you just implement a ban uh, across the board and that makes sense but it is a gigantic absolute total pain in the dairy air without a shadow of a doubt I still get annoyed with that liquid ban uh, that you're not able to bring uh, stuff through there's also you know the whole kerfuffle about shoes because one guy in Florida years ago tried to expose um, bring through explosives in the heel of his shoe Uh, all these things there was one guy who actually tried to blow up a plane because he had explosives in his underpants do you remember that uh, I do. I'm actually, surprised yeah. they haven't been banned at this stage. So uh, I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. You said though <clears throat> the theme of our show today really is you can put systems in place, but you've always got the human element. So no matter what you do with airline travel, they will think of something else to get around security to try and you know do their their damage. But the same is true of Google, who are in huge trouble this week. In huge trouble, yeah. Um, well, and it's it's kind of surprising that this hasn't come up sooner because. Google's revenue model is based on programmatic advertising. And I know people that have worked on projects for large media websites um, where for a while the policy was if we can't sell the space, we'll just use Google ads in that space. And what would happen was that they would do um, a project on a particularly sensitive subject, right? So we'll, we'll take... Uh, victims of violence, for example, right? And you might, through the miracle of Google AdWords, end up with um, advertisements for kitchen knives <laughs> beside beside this piece, you know? You, you end up getting really wacky and inappropriate um, responses through, through Google AdWords, which, mm. you know, will look for things that, on the face of it, seem relevant to the content that you're carrying. But it doesn't always work. Absolutely, as I've, as I've just illustrated. So uh, during the week, um, a whole load of people um, started pulling their ads from YouTube, which works on a similar programmatic model. I mean, we're used to pre-roll videos now on YouTube uh, where advertisers end up paying uh, a little bit per view uh, so long as the video rolls beyond five seconds. So if uh, once that little skip ad thing vanishes, then um, your advertiser starts paying. So unfortunately, during the week, the likes of MS, Sky, Vodafone, uh, HSBC, RBS McDonald's, Audi, Sainsbury's, BBC and The Guardian, a whole load of brands started pulling their advertising from YouTube when it emerged that the programmatic system that Google was using to get their videos in front of um, certain videos by content creators were actually landing on some fairly unsavoury characters. Um, you had the likes of Dr. David Duke, who was uh, affiliated to Ku Klux Klan. You had 
uh, extremist um, Muslim clerics um, who are making big money off these views. And apparently, David Duke made thirty four thousand dollars off uh, advertising because, as you know, when you register as a as a creator and you decide, yeah, I want ads in front of my videos so I can make money from it, there was no actual uh, real filter there. Well, there 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 were filters, but they, they were. Very, um, the very filters, loose, the, fil- the filters essentially, the filters essentially aren't working, which is why I kind of want to get into a related story, uh, which is with Facebook and fake <clears> news, because they're kind of having a similar thing in that there's content on their platform that just shouldn't be there. Uh, well, not so much it shouldn't be on the platform, but the people should be more aware of where it's coming from. You know, advertisers love things that are beige. You know, they like things that are inoffensive. They like people that are inoffensive. They like customers that are inoffensive. The minute you stray into that line and you start worrying about the right to be offended versus the right to be, you know, versus people trolling or being offensive for the sake of it or looking to um, looking to uh, incite hatred um, in other people. This is an completely different situation and yes you're right facebook um you call them fake book that's that's funny but um they are having a similar problem with fake news where you know you can have things served up to you that you know only sort of exist within your little filter bubble or you know are only things that you yourself might find interesting but they might they might be completely fake so we have one very good example leading up to saint patrick's day we did, yeah. There, were, there was an article circulated on an entertainment website in Rhode Island, which was about, you know, the, the long, sorry history of Irish slavery uh, in America, I think, uh, I think was the full gist of it. And uh, it was fake. It was fake news. And uh, Facebook have launched this um, uh, program looking to um, fact check uh, articles as it goes. So it's starting in the States at the moment. And the standards are being uh, have been introduced by the Pointer Institute, which is a nonpartisan institute for tracking excellence in journalism. They do really good work, and they're using sites like um, the Associated Press and Snopes to basically scan news for things that are factually incorrect. Um, so the, these kind of uh, these websites are acting as real time fact checkers. Great service. I really hope it works out. And I really hope people take to it and understand that these fact checkers aren't partisan. You know, it's very easy to say, you know, CNN check this. Obviously, fake news. CNN has bias, which is something that the Trump administration has been very vocal about. Mm. They will pick on certain outlets and go, oh, they're fake news when, when they're not. You know, they're, they, they're probably struggling with standards or they're struggling with how to get their heads around life in the post-truth era. Mm. But ultimately, and this is something that spreads across the Facebook story and the Google story, is that the only way you can actually get good systems is to have people responsible for them not systems not algorithms people right mm. and it's this speaks to the interview that we had with uh, guru banavar a couple of a couple of weeks ago and um, him of ibm and watson and his take on it was look ai is there as an aid to decision making not as a decision maker right watson can can give you it can back up your your idea it can give you uh you know it can verify what you're thinking it cannot replace the work of a human being who happens to have basic common sense. How very true. <clears throat> so with Google, we're going to see people actually, human, Google are saying that they're going to have human beings. They'll use the algorithms to flag up, like to sieve stuff, if you like. And anything that comes up with a flag or a problem, they'll have a real human being checking it. 
Yeah, they're, they're promising safer defaults for brands. They're promising simplified management of exclusion mm. so you can put together blacklists. They've also mm. said, you know, you can fine tune your controls better. And of course, we'll put more people into it. We'll put a, a faster review process in place and offer greater transparency. Kind of the things that they should have been offering in the first place. But again, trust in the system and see what happens. It kind of makes you want to go back to the old simple days of Yahoo, where you had to manually submit your website and a human being would check it. <laughs> Yeah. And, and, you know, when we were submitting our podcast to places and to various directories, I mean, there was a ultimately a human at the end of the line who yep. went, yeah, OK. I love that show. Sign me up. That's what they all said. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Listen, that's what's happening uh, in the world of tech for this week. Now, thanks, as always, for keeping us up to date. Let's get on with an interview this week with Natalie Hodges. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. Today I'm speaking with Natalie Hodges, who is the manager of the Vodafone Ireland Foundation. And uh, the Vodafone Foundation is kind of the philanthropic wing of Vodafone. And one of the projects they're working on at the moment is coming up with a set of, um, uh, I guess you might call them, um, personal safety guidelines uh, that they're working on in association with the ISPCC. So Natalie, just tell us a little bit about uh, what attracted you to the ISPCC as a charity and the kind of conversations that are going on at the moment in relation to cyber safety. Sure. Um, so we came across ISPCC two years ago when we were starting the the hunt for our new charity partner. So each year we would commit funding and support to a charity partner. Um, we've worked with numerous charities in the past since the foundation was created in 2003. But I think um, we, we decided we wanted to work with one charity partner probably more deeply than we had before and to do a longer um, partnership so we we sent out um, an application to apply and youth was our youth is our our key area actually of of um support so we sent out an invitation to apply to the key uh, youth charities in ireland ispcc were one of many to apply um and as we got down the process i suppose the the vision from ispcc that ended up um making them the the kind of the, the the ones that we decided to partner with was really a clear vision um with cyber safety very much heart of it so so childline you know are a very very good reputable organization um the one area that they haven't been able to focus on is really um investing in their infrastructure because of all the the damage that's been done to the charity sector over the the recent years i suppose their technology and their infrastructure was an area that by their admission they really want to bring up to date they have a new ceo not so new now two years in the job gronya long um who has an amazing vision for where ispcc is going and we were very inspired with with what they were looking at um and one of the key areas i suppose we looked at was technology technology is the big um common denominator between the two of us i suppose ispcc use it children they have 400,000 calls a year um into their help helpline and vodafone obviously is a mobile phone provider and wider telecoms provider so the two companies the two organizations there is a very natural fit and when you're looking at that overlap particularly uh, pointing towards the area of cyber safety one of the things that, that came out of um, last year was an event where you brought together policymakers, industry practitioners, academics, um, other, other people in the field. And you came across a, a set of guidelines that um, you published 
kind of at the start of it is this idea of building trust. And some of the tips that you came up with were um, quite practical. So take us through some of the very simple things people can do at home. Yeah, so um, so the guidelines came out of exactly the Dublin. We had a, an event in Dublin Castle where we we um, we brought together lots of different industry kind of experts in the field, and by listening to various different um, tips and advice out there, and also from interviewing parents in a study that we did from Vodafone Group in 2015, um, we we really understood that parents are a bit um, confused about where to go for advice. So we wanted to come up with the really top tips of, to, to what parents can do to keep their children safe online or safer online um, and so one of the first things was to really open dialogue with children to to try and encourage them to talk about the dangers of online behavior with children from a very early age um, we know that you know children are getting phones earlier and earlier probably with communion money at this stage you know eight nine years old and I think in the past, you know, phones have been handed over to children with very little understanding of the of the, how open the internet is, and that really you're giving children. It's not like the outside world, the real world, where there's danger signs. There is no danger signs when you're in an unrestricted internet um, for children. They can come across all sorts of things through YouTube, through you know. So I think the first thing to do for a parent is when you give the, your child the first phone, just make sure that you know how to put the the settings on you know so that because there's very good settings available on all of the main phone providers um you know on yeah on apple which is what i use it's it's very easy to set up just some very basic um settings so that children cannot access adult content um and you can put a passcode on so that children are not able to access um inappropriate material one of the interesting points you raise is getting that line of communication open between parents and children straight away, almost at the point at which the, the device is handed over. But given that people use these devices w- with very different things in mind, kids are interested in different social networks, adults are interested in very practical things. Do you, do you find that that dichotomy still exists, that parents are still quite intimidated about the online world, even though the current generation of parents are almost, you know, the, the millennials coming of age? Mm-hmm. Yes, I think there is a big divide between children and parents. I think children get lots of their information from their peer group. And I think parents have felt slightly inferior that they don't understand and, you know, that they need to understand everything. But I think by opening the lines of communication and for parents to ask children, you know, which sites they're using, how they're accessing them, I think it can open, you know, a a really good communication. And I think it's really important for parents not to panic if they are concerned about something happening, you know, that a child is on sites because I think as soon as you you know if you do overreact to something that a child tells you I think there is a risk that the child you know just really stops communicating um so yeah and I think it is kind of the parent's responsibility to stay or to try and stay as 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 up to date as possible um with what's going on for the younger generations and I guess when you're looking at say social networks or messaging platforms like WhatsApp, like Snapchat, some of which are quite alien. I mean, I know I still don't get Snapchat, even though I've I've tried to wrap my head around it. When you look at sort of the things that are coming down the line and the nature of the way people communicate in relation to how they did before, do you think that's something parents should be much more proactive in looking at? Yes, I think there's 
I mean, there's since we've been looking at this area for one year, there's been so many new sites have already come about and so many different pieces of, you know, concern and advice. Um, one thing that I heard of from ISPCC, because they, I suppose... That they give us a lot of this information because the nature of calls coming into the childline services now, um, there is a, a really big increase in calls related to cyber issues. Um, and I think children being excluded from social media sites is a new phenomenon of bullying. You know, so this is children are feeling ex- completely excluded, even if nothing is being said directly to them. By being excluded, they're feeling very left out. Um, so I think, I think these are some of the new areas of concern and. Things like um, adapting photos, you know, I think taking photos of children, even for their profile pictures, has become a really big issue for them. And they're actually doctoring the pictures to make themselves look better, which I think, you know, body issues and confidence of children, we really have to watch out to, you know, to make sure children don't think it's all about your appearance, because I do feel like there's a bit of a worrying move towards that. And when you're giving advice to children, uh, does the does the old principle of stop, block and tell still apply? I mean, it, can it really be that simple? I think stop, block and tell is a really good, yeah, f- you know, it's kind of one of the basics. But I think by empowering a child to know that they can block something that they don't like is really empowering for them. You know, children, I, I know the child line... Um, the way that ch- the Childline um, volunteers take children through is building resilience because I suppose you can you can help children so much, but really for the longer term uh, benefit of the child, they need to build resilience themselves to know how to respond to things like online bullying um, and stop, block and tell. So I suppose online bullying has become an issue because it is so 24-7, whereas bullying used to stop at the school gates. Now, you know, I suppose devices and the internet are giving bullies kind of online access to to children all the time and even by feeling empowered to actually tell somebody that this is going on is a huge step forward for children um, who often feel ashamed or silly if they're being bullied and don't want to talk about it until some of the cases coming into a child line you know are really at the last straw where they they're feeling suicidal because they're being bullied and they they haven't been able to tell their parents because they don't want their parents to worry or to overreact so they get themselves into such a, a worry you know and lots of cases of people sharing online um you know images of themselves let's say and believing the person they were speaking to was a friend or a potential friend and then finding out actually that they're being blackmailed you know these are so many so many cases coming into childline of this nature so yeah i think stop block and tail is kind of you know it's basic but it does work I think you've raised a very interesting issue there of things that don't necessarily um, or, or certain wouldn't wouldn't imagine affect very young kids when you're talking about getting their, their first phone or whatever. When you're looking towards, you know, teenagers, young adults, the, the threats kind of change. You're gone beyond name calling. You're into um, attacking people's online reputation. You're looking at doxing. You're looking at, at generally trashing people online, whether on a discussion forum or where have you. But... These things affect the bully as well. I mean, this is information that can travel with you throughout your lifetime. Absolutely. I think that's a really good point because, um, you know, I think bullies, I think, you know, terming a bully, I think internet, I think the internet and and cy- this cyber bullying phenomenon has become so big because I think sometimes bullies don't realise that they are being a bully. You know, they 
they, they kind of say something and because it's not face to face it doesn't feel as serious you know there's there's kind of a layer towards their bullying that they just send something out especially if there's a crowd of people I think peers can get carried away you know and it's it, it all seems like a bit of fun at the time and then really the effects that it can have on an individual you know we've seen in the press and we've seen through the Childline um, call centre it really can it really can snowball and then as you say you know people that maybe start as quite innocent bystanders or just contributing to be one of the gang and not to be left out they do become bullies themselves and then that can actually you know follow them around the digital footprint is is there for life and some of the interesting work that's coming out of the Law Reform Commission at the moment is looking to tackle this um, from the perspective of child safety, but extending all the way through to adults, really. Um, we're looking at things that haven't been around before, again, because people are sharing images of themselves, often quite Im- intimate images that people wouldn't have done before, or even images that were taken without their consent and posted onto discussion forums. So we're seeing things like victim shaming, we're seeing things like revenge porn, and I think it, again it does speak to that sort of anonymous bully mentality that people are sitting behind their keyboards and typing away and thinking you know being part of a a twitter storm is fantastic fun and it has no consequences but we're seeing more and more that it does yes i think there's um i think there's a lot being done in this area which is really good the law reform is one area that's being looked at there's also the office um for um internet safety that's been set up and the pdst are very very active in this space i suppose um the internet safety day that happened on the 7th of february really demonstrated and showed just how many different groups are working on this and I think all leading towards kind of a national strategy on cyber safety is what is becoming um, seen as very important and I think it could be such a good example of industry and charity and government working together to come up with this national strategy so yeah lots of work is, is being done already but I think we have a way to go. And that was Niall Kitson talking to Natalie Hodges, manager from Vodafone Ireland Foundation on the subject of cyberbullying. Just before we go this week, Niall's still here with us. What is our one more thing, Niall? The one story online on a website that we just couldn't squeeze into the show this week. Yeah, well, we've got a great story about um, the next wave of robots that will be going to Mars and they will have very special properties about them. Oh, read all about it on our website at techcentral.ie. While you're there, remember you can get tech news with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more, as well as our weekly tech radio show online and, of course, broadcast every Friday at 6 o'clock on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes, and from Niall Kitson, have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by DigitalAudioProductions.com. Tech Central.